Ah, the Lord, the Lord is doing his thing. It's first of all good to see um, our brothers and sisters in Christ out there every week. We, we never know when it's all going to be over. <laughs> uh, me and Pastor E, we trust God for what's going on here and talk to the Lord about him continuing to add to our number daily those who are being saved or those who are being led to fellowship with us. And, uh, and we just continue to thank the Lord for what he's doing. Uh, we're working our way through John. We're working our way through John. Um, and our desire is to see people radically impacted by the scriptures. Um, chose to go verse by verse. We started our church plant by going verse by verse through 1 Corinthians took us almost a whole year to do that. Then we threw in Titus. It was rather small. Haggai was rather small. And then in a couple other scattered uh, verses uh, and texts. Uh, but not, most people, when they hear that our, we come out of the hip-hop paradigm or we're coming to the streets, uh, wouldn't think that anybody would risk... Uh, would risk their mission on going verse by verse systematically through the word because by and large that doesn't work usually. It doesn't keep people. People don't like the 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 every dot and every I, the dotting of every I and the crossing of every T of the Bible. So you gotta razzle and dazzle people. Well we've been trusting God that without razzling and dazzling but people getting rocked off of exactly how booming his word is, uh, that people would be attracted to uh, like um, Pastor Hopkins was saying, gospel-centeredness, Bible-centeredness. And so I just thank God for seeing uh, the repetition of people coming forth uh, and people continuing to rally around truth. So uh, today we are in chapter 18. Chapter 18. This is, a, this is going to be different today, at least from how I normally do it. I normally try to take a very small amount of scripture uh, and deal with it. But today, this is such a potent narrative. It's actually going to be a longer, uh, a larger portion of scripture. I can't, I can't treat it like I normally like to do. But what I'm going to try to do is, I'm going to try to walk through uh, a narrative of the Lord Jesus uh, on trial. In fact, I've called this trial in error. Trial and error. And uh, what I'm going to try to do is tackle this by just walking through it and highlighting maybe five things that I see jump out um, from this, this portion. But what I want to do is read it so you'll catch it as one whole narrative. So it's going to be rather long, but uh, follow me, please. John 18, starting with verse 28. Starting with verse 28. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters, or the praetorium. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, uh, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Verse 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the, to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world. To bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. 
So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. 19. Then Pilate took John and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail the king of the Jews and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to die, because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Verse 12. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement and in Aram uh, in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him. Crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. If you don't get anything else today, get this story. The story of the one called King on trial. First, I want us to go back to chapter 18, verse 28, and I want us to look at, out of all of this, as we've been moving to the crucifixion, the, the must for Jesus Christ is that he die, that he die and not save himself, not use his powers, even the powers he used to help others, to help himself to avoid this moment. This moment is crucial. But John deals with this story of Jesus Christ before Pilate, unlike any of the synoptics or the other Gospels. The other Gospels don't go into the depth of what Jesus Christ went through while he was on trial waiting to be sentenced or released. And so we have to ask ourselves, why did John deem it necessary to give us such an elaborate account of Jesus Christ at this moment in his life? Nothing in Scripture is just happenstance. People didn't just, oh, I was on a roll. I didn't know how to end it, so it's long. Oh, I just didn't know how to sum it up. The Bible is so precise that every single thing in it is there for a reason. And the question is, what does John want us to gather? Well, I see a couple of things that is replete in John's, uh, John's account of the gospel. And the one thing he wants you to know is that Jesus Christ is fully aware of and responsible for what's going on in here. Also, he wants you to know that everybody has a part in the death of Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. So every sinner is responsible for Jesus Christ being here at this moment. John doesn't want you to miss that you and I are the reason why Jesus is right here at this moment. John doesn't want you to, to miss it, that you and I are a part of one or the other here at this moment. At the same time, John wants you to know that the Jews, the people who of all people should have wanted Jesus, the people who were expecting a Messiah, the people who had prayed for Messiah, the people who were anticipating Messiah, are also part of the reason why Jesus is here right now. 
He also wants you to know that Rome, Gentiles, who never was waiting for a Messiah, but somehow in the grand scheme of what God's doing, Jews, God's inner circle of people, and Gentiles, people who don't know God from a can of paint, all are are part of the reason why Jesus is right here at this moment. And the first thing I think we see here in verses 28 to 32 is the irony of religion without spiritual insight. Religion without spiritual insight. Watch this. It says, then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover. Pilate went outside to them. What accusation do you bring? They answered him. If this man were not, we would not have delivered him over to you. Uh, Pilate said to them, take for yourselves. Uh, it is not lawful for us. They, like, there's this anonymous they, yourselves, themselves, and you. Who is this? Well, it just so happens that this is the religious what we call aristocracy or the leadership of the Jews. That's why I said this is the irony of religion minus insight. There's nothing worse than being religious and yet not having the ability to see God. Nothing's more tragic than for you to be a leader among the religious and miss something as basic as who your God is. John wants you to know that the the tragedy is that the they are the people responsible for leading God's people, what he calls his shepherds. Jesus sits here and he says, man, look at me on trial being led by the very people that I came to save. The irony. But it says here that they were a stickler for their religion. Look what it says here. It says They go early in the morning. Now, this is somewhere between 6 and 7 o'clock because if you wanted to make sure you handled your business, in their case, because they had a festival going, and they had to make sure that they got this over with before sundown, and they had to get this over before uh, the, the festivals began. So they're on their spiritual grind early. Stickler for their religion. They know. And it says here, not only are they early, but it says they go to the governor's house, but they wouldn't go inside. Now, the governor is a Gentile pilot. The Jews would be contaminated ceremonially or by their own religious standards. We can't go in a Gentile's house lest we be defiled. And if we're defiled, we can't have Passover. And if we can't have Passover and do all the religious things that we do. So let's stop right here and let's just accuse from a distance. Let's make him come out. We don't want to defile ourselves. John says the irony of religion minus spiritual insight. You don't even realize that you're a stickler for external purity but inside your heart is driven by evil motives the beauty of what john is doing here as he's writing of course after the fact is how many people think they have god and miss him how many people this is the leadership it says the jews but That's basically the high priest, the people who are authorized to make moves on behalf of God's people. We live in a day where religion has an aristocracy. You know, we live in a day where there are some religious characters that you can pay. They get, I heard one dude got $80,000 to come in for a weekend and pray with some people. $80,000. We live in a day of religious aristocracy, religious people who they like they have it going on. And yet often these are the same people that miss the boat. And so he says here, don't miss the irony, a stickler for early morning religious grind, a stickler for not being ceremonially unclean. But missing the fact that not having the spiritual insight to see this is a hoax. Now, look at this. Verse 29. So Pilate obliges them and goes with the spiritual shenanigans. He comes out. What accusation do you bring against this man? 
Now, Jesus Christ is at an official trial. Don't get this. This isn't all just a spiritual message here. This is a historical message, too. Jesus Christ is actually on trial. The idea is that Rome occupied a type of rulership over the Jews. The Jews, when they basically would settle their disputes, but on matters where they wanted to actually see someone punished uh, through death, they had to appeal to Rome. So they're actually there. Well, Rome's criteria is okay. When you bring somebody, you make a formal accusation about them. We'll determine whether or not it's something we should be involved in or whether or not you should be handling your own affairs. Okay, so Pilate says, what accusation do you bring? Now, we talked about this earlier when Jesus was arrested, a cohort or a cluster of soldiers from Rome had already been dispatched. So no doubt, Pilate already knew what they were saying, and they thought, well, he gave us his soldiers. He's going to let us just come, tell him that he's a bad guy, and Rome will just take our word for it, stamp him as condemned, and kill him. But now Pilate throws them for a loop by saying, no, let's make this thing legitimate in the eyes of all. State your formal accusation. This is why I said the beauty of or the irony of religion without insight. They didn't even have a legitimate charge against the Lord Jesus, but you see them. It says here, what accusation do you bring? They answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we wouldn't have brought him to you. Irony is supposed to make you laugh. Like, when you, oh, see, you busted. Like, you're supposed to at this point say, ah, see, I knew it. Busted. Religious is all get out. Leadership and all. But you know that you're up to no good right now. They could, as their own, they could have handled these matters. They didn't even have a charge. The Lord Jesus sitting there and, and, and Pilate makes them, exposes that this is a hoax. They don't even have a legitimate charge against him. They just come up with something vague. Ah, uh, come on. Why would we have him here if he wasn't a bad guy? Rome is like, That's, you don't bring me out early in the morning under the charge he does bad. You, 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 you handle that. Religion without insight says here, the Jews said to him, oh, Pilate says, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. If this is all you got on him, you take him and you judge him for yourselves. The Jews said to him, it is by your own law, uh, excuse me, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Not only does religion often lack spiritual insight or religious aristocracy, and not only do you see great hypocrisy amongst religious contingents, but you also see hatred. One of the things that we hope you'll understand, and sometimes like our lack of suits or our lack of some of the religious things that let you know something religious is going on, a lot of times we don't have those things, and we feel like we're okay in that simply because of this principle, that often the most religious stuff often misses the boat. And the least likely places and the places that don't look like they're the religious often are dead bullseye with God's heart. We're going to even see that about the kingship of Jesus Christ. But one of the things that he sees here is a hypocrisy that's, you, that's, that's normal in the religious circles of people who are not really gods, but they're just religious. And hatred. We're, we're hoping that you will not be religious. Like, we're not trying to raise a bunch of religious folk. We're trying to get you to understand the heart of God so that it resides in your non-religiously looking frame. Now, if you have a religious looking frame, like from a disability, hey, what you a preacher? Like, if that's you, that's good too, because the problem is not having religious outside. It's having a religious outside when there is no religious inside. So we're saying if you're going to have only one, have religious inside because the religious outside won't do you any good. But if you want to have both of them going for you, that may wind you up as one of the religious aristocracy we're talking about getting 80 G's to come in. So I'm just saying that might be you. Or everybody who's religious and powerful is not bad. But 
John wants you to know that he so characterized these people, they're called the Jews. In John's gospel, the Jews are those who are hostile to God. The Jews who are hostile to God. doesn't mean that every Jew is hostile to God, but he's saying the representatives of their nation are hostile to him. So right now, this is what we're dealing with. People who are sticklers for their religion, but full of hypocrisy and full of hatred. And the reason why I say hatred is because they could have dealt with the Lord Jesus. There were ways that they could have dealt with him, but they didn't just want him to feel a little reprimand. They wanted him to die, but they didn't just want him to die. They wanted him to be crucified. Several reasons why. One, the text says this was all within the grand scheme of God's plan. The Lord Jesus repeatedly said, when I am lifted up, when they lift up the son of man, then you will see. This idea of lifting up was a reference to the crucifixion. If the Jews would have their way with inflicting death on someone, it would have been through stoning. That's That's not the way that the Bible says that the Lord Jesus was going to die. That's not the way the Lord Jesus said he was going to die. And we don't know all the intricacies of why God chose crucifixion as the way he would let his son die. But one of the things we know is that the Bible made it clear that he would be pierced. The Bible made it clear that his blood would shed. The Bible made it clear that no bones would be broken. Uh, The Bible made it clear that this is how he would die. So John says, look. Their pressing Rome to be involved was important to the fulfillment of God's plan. So the Jews couldn't just take matters. So Pilate is trying to get the Jews to handle their own affairs. And, 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 and John is making a notation. Well, that really wouldn't have worked because Jesus said he's going to die through crucifixion. So we lick our lips and we continue reading the story like, man, now how's a man who's innocent going to wind up on a cross? That's the question. Well, let's look. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Not only do we see the irony of religion without spiritual insight, but an invitation to personal engagement and not mere formality. An invitation to personally get involved. I like the way the Lord Jesus on trial, John wants to show you that Jesus Christ is on top of his game, even in the midst of the most trying time, right? Look what he does. Pilate, he's on trial, so Pilate is interrogating Jesus. Next thing you know, Jesus starts interrogating Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? In the Greek, you is in an emphatic position, which gives the probability or the possibility that he was saying are you the king of the jews almost like no swagger no army no i don't hear your people out there like we got you nobody's swinging through ropes to rescue you no you're the king of the jews and so you see here jesus bypassed this idea of him focusing on him And says, wait a minute, are you asking this on your own accord or is this just Roman trial formality where you're just reciting uh, the charges brought against me from somebody else? Because Jesus is going to dialogue with Pilate as though at a time like this, your very involvement could make or break you. So he invites him to personally engage Christ And not just deal with Christ by mere formality's sake. How many people do you know can enter dialogue about Jesus? Not because they're interested in Jesus. They just like to hear the talk about him. Like to hear the debates. How many people you know write songs with Jesus in it? Not because they have a relationship with Jesus or they're trying to be personally involved with them. Only because that's what happens in music. How many people you know likes to, like to read the Bible because of the poetic imagery? Not because they want to meet the God who wrote it. Jesus, on his, at his trial, doesn't hesitate to make a personal implied invitation Like, are you, like, do you recognize me as king or are you just regurgitating what you've heard? And the reason why I say that is because not only do we see this, this 
this invitation. The reason why I believe it's more of an invitation, because soon we're going to see later that he's going to stop engaging Pilate once Pilate makes it clear You'll have no impact on me. But look what Pilate says. Am I a Jew? Like, oh, come on, man. Why would I be interested in you personally? Am I a Jew? Rome is the power structure right now. Pilate is sitting on top of things. Jews are under them. And so Pilate is like, come on, man. Like, I know you ain't trying to, like, run it like I should be into you. I'm the governor. You're standing before me invitation to personal engagement and not mere formalities. He says, your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Like, skip all of that personal, like, you, you, you get into, per- let's just get on with this. What have you done? Because I am, I got to admit, they told me you, you know, you were, you were this king and then you, you said you were this king and I'm, I'm looking and I'm kind of like, ah. Eh. All right, so what did you do? Like, let's get down to this. What did you really do to get here? The Lord Jesus bypasses all the side talk and says, my kingdom is not of this world. Once again, I believe the Lord Jesus is using this as an opportunity to flash who he is to Pilate and be able to basically say, Pilate, you don't have to go out like this. Just like he did with Judas. The Bible says that basically implies that Jesus loved on Judas to the moment when Judas made his decision and dipped, even though God prophesied that that would happen. Same thing here. Pilate, I know it's written in the scripts, but it doesn't stop the Lord Jesus from still making, engaging Pilate as though Pilate has a chance to engage him. And he says here, my kingdom, let me just, let me clear it up for you, Pilate. My kingdom is not of this world. So I don't just see the irony of religion without insight and an invitation to personal engagement, but this introduction into spiritual kingdom and not merely a physical kingdom. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. First of all, Jesus bypasses that by saying, let me just tell you, let me clarify this thing about me as a king and me and my kingdom. It's not of this world. If I was just out here like kings do, I would have had an army who would have stopped me from even winding up in this position. It's not of this world. Jesus is basically saying, really, this is bogus. You already know it, but let me clarify I'm not the political kind of king that would make Rome have to get involved. So clearly this is bogus. He says, but I do have this kingdom, but it's not of this world. It's a spiritual kingdom. He says, but my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate says, so you are a king. Like, let's get something because I'm getting lost in all of this. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said, what is truth? Once again, you see this idea of Jesus saying, I have a kingdom, it's not of this world. But my kingdom has come to this world. So he's not denying that this otherworldly kingdom is irrelevant to this world. What he's saying is it doesn't have its origin in this world. And that's critical. Because what Jesus is saying is, I'm in the world, but I don't do things the way the world does them. This is a blueprint for all his people. Sometimes we think the best way to win the world is the world. So people say, man, if you're going to win the world, man, you got to floss like them. How are we going to win the world? And we we got to have chains like the world has chains. We have to have rims like the world has rims. The, the, we need to drive the same kind of cars. Jesus says, see, when your kingdom is of the world, you do it like the world. He says, I don't. But then some people want to be so heavenly or so otherworldly that they are separated from the world. Jesus says, nah. I'm not so otherworldly that my kingdom hasn't come to the world because he says my kingdom is the kingdom of truth. And truth has come to the world. And guess what? It divides this world. Look what he says. He says, so you are a king. You say that I'm king. For this purpose I was born. That means he came to the world. And for this purpose I have come into the world 
to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Like truth and the kingdom of truth comes down and it draws a line and it separates. So Jesus says, let me basically tell you why I'm here. Because the kingdom that has come splits things right down the middle based on truth. Which is the very reason why they have to lie to get me here because they don't like truth. And so here it is today, the Lord Jesus on trial before many in the world. And he sits here and people say, yo... It's the truth of Jesus Christ that makes people have to conjure up stuff. It's the truth of Jesus Christ that divides those who want truth from those who want mere religion. A lot of times you can show people truth in the Bible and like they, like, they don't want you to mess with their religion. But if you show them truth in the scriptures, then all of a sudden you're messing something up. And we got to ask ourselves, do I want truth or do I want religion? Do I want form? The Jews were a stickler for their religion, but they were um, a repellent of truth. And now Jesus Christ says, Pilate, let me just hip you to this. You, you ask me, am I a king? Yes, I'm a king. What kind of king? Not the political one. I'm the king of divine truth. And my kingdom is this sphere where God rules based on truth. Now, Pilate basically shrugs this whole philosophical argument off by saying, what is truth? And he, uh, after he said this, he went back out saying to the Jews, I find no guilt in him. Now, one of the things I was saying is this was a personal invitation to engagement. Now, Paul, Pilate makes it clear, I don't want to engage you like you're talking about. And I'm getting lost on this truth stuff. What really is truth? But I can go back to these Jews and say, this man hasn't done anything worthy of being in my courtroom. So what this is, is a rejection of Jesus' attempt to bring you beyond mere formality. A rejection of Jesus' attempt to flash before you the key to really understanding a king as a king has been sent from above. And this is him saying, let's just get on with the show. And that's the world we live in. The world we live in is, we don't want a kingdom of truth. The opposite of truth helps us. We, like, we don't like truth. A kingdom where truth is true? <laughs> I was telling this one dude, because we were just talking this week, and I said, that's the problem. We don't care about truth. Like, like. A lot of times what we do is we argue and we don't even believe that there's objective truth. Jesus is saying, I'm the standard of truth. You start with me. I'm the king of the kingdom that wants truth. And Pilate is sitting here, of course, oblivious to this concept. And the Jews are hostile to this concept. And John is writing saying, those who like truth identify with Jesus right now. Jesus says, those who are of the truth, listen to my voice. And so here we are. The irony of religion without insight is the most spiritual men on the planet have the God who they were expecting up on charges. Then we have the invitation to personally engage with Jesus Christ and not just go through mere formalities, even though mere formalities are necessary in this world. So at Jesus' trial, he looks at the one who's interrogating him and he flips the script and say, yo, do you have the sight to see beyond the fact that I look humble, beyond the fact I don't look like a king? But let me clear it up for you. You don't have to worry. I'm not the kind of king that has your job in jeopardy. I'm a different kind of king. I'm the king of a, of a, of a kingdom called truth. And now, now uh, anybody who is into truth hears and listens to my voice. Pilate, where do you stand with that? What's truth? He hasn't done anything. Now I see an inadequacy of good intentions when coupled with faulty actions. Look at this. Look how the story goes. After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom. Once again, 
If you're into truth, what, it's time to let him go right now. It's time to let Jesus go right now. No, he's not guilty. Court, I mean, case closed. But what does he do? He's not guilty, but you have a custom. That's the world we live in. I know what the Bible says, but... Yeah, 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 that's true, but... Well, you right, but... Well, he said it, but... He says he's not guilty, but, but you have a custom. <laughs> Isn't that the world we live in? Our customs trump truth. See, this is the time when, like, I need y'all to, as they say, talk back to me. But, like, it's so beautiful because if I was making it up, it would be one thing, but it's right here. This is our day. The question is, how does the trial of Jesus that took place back in AD 33 or sometime, like, how is that going to move us? I see it every day. The religious big shots having a grip on the mind of regular folk who see truth. But that doesn't work in light of the prevailing customs. The Lord Jesus here is sitting in front of a judge. I mean, flashing who he is and a victim of the same thing that you and I are victims of. And at the same time, we're part of those who are perpetrators of the same thing that is perpetrating on him. Not only does he say it right there, I find no fault in him, but you have a custom. Look, you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. Several points I want to make here. One, real quick. Now, truth loses to the custom. The custom was for them to release somebody. So what he does is, Pilate, who... Looks like he's the man in charge, basically, re, like, bypasses his own authority, puts it back in the court of Jesus' accusers and says, who do you want me to release? The person that's not guilty or somebody else? John lets you know, now, this is a dude who is guilty. Barabbas, a robber, the word basically has in it, a robber who also hurts. Mark tells us that this was a, a, a dude that was a religious zealot, that was murderous, that was, was a threat to Rome. All the stuff that Jesus was on trial for. He's a threat to Rome. He should be killed. You got to watch out for this dude. Uh, he's guilty of it. Jesus is not guilty. But who do you want? Who do you want me to release? The dude who's not guilty or the dude who is guilty? Give us the dude who's guilty. Once again, this is a classic case of the religious leadership and the governmental authority not fulfilling their function, but acting based on something other than truth. This is also theologically a classic illustration of the just dying in place of the unjust. This is a classic illustration of he who knew no sin became sin for us. This is a classic illustration of what we call the substitutionary atonement. The fact that Jesus didn't just die in as, as an example for us. Jesus didn't just die because it was his time to go. Jesus died so that people who were clearly guilty could be set free. I mean, now, Jesus, God is the author of this script. So we're talking about the beauty of the story in all of its detail. 
We're talking about the Lord Jesus empowering a Rome for such a time as this. We're talking about Jesus Christ raising up a Rome and, and, and making it. It was said that the ability for the Jews to kill someone or give capital punishment had been taken away from them. That's the only reason why, like, whenever you see them stoning, often that was in exceptional cases or it was, it was basically like a lynching or just mob activity, which was rare because it could cost them their freedom. So um, a lot of people were wondering why the Jews said we can't execute anyone when we, we've seen them. And in, in, in Acts 7, they're going to execute Stephen without going to Rome. And, uh, but they're going to do it through stoning. Well, that was it, there was no governor at the time when the stoning of Stephen happened, so there was no governor to take them to. And even that, by historians' documentation, was rare. And so we, we, we go now we backtrack and we say, wait a minute, God rigging it so that the Jews could not give capital punishment because then it would have been by stoning uh, so that it forced them to include Rome so that it forces them. And then Jesus navigating the script so that he gets to this point where he illustrates how he stands in the gap for people who are guilty, but the guiltless goes is the one that they kill. All of this is part of a beautiful story. Hold on. It keeps going in terms of this the inadequacy of good intentions when coupled with faulty actions. Look at what it says here. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So he has them flogged. And then he says, I find no guilt in him. Verse 5. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, crucify, crucify. Pilate said, take him yourself and crucify, for I find no guilt in him. Verse 9, he went back in and says, where, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Now I want you all to catch something. If you look at John's account and then Matthew, Mark, and Luke's account, something doesn't look right. John says that they flogged Jesus, but it looks like Pilate is going to flog Jesus in order to get the Jews to back back off of their desire to have Jesus crucified. So what you have here is Pilate saying the dude is not guilty. So he tries this trick. This is the good intentions part. I tell you what. Maybe if I give them somebody who's worse than this dude, it'll make them forget about this dude, and they'll release Jesus, and then I can deal with the dude who's worse. But the Jews say, no, give us the worst cat, and I mean, give us Jesus, and let the worst guy, Barabbas, go. Backfires on Pilate. Dang. Okay, I tell you what. How about I just have them flogged and messed up a little bit, then I'll bring him out, let them see how pathetic he is. He clearly is not a king. He's clearly no threat to us. Now he's no threat to them. He's been humiliated. The pain has gotten to him. And then maybe that'll make him back off. So he says he has them flogged. Now I want to bring another point in right real quick. There are three kinds of floggings that you can have. Each of them are more intense. There's the one flogging that they just give you just when you do a petty crime or something small, and it's, it's, a, it's a spanking, but it's not the one that we're used to from the passion. There's the second one that's, that's more intense, and then there's the one from the passion. <laughs> that one that rips out everything, exposes your bone. They usually only give you that one. When they're saying this is to dehumanize you and to beat you uh, like close to death so that when we crucify you, it makes things worse for you. They usually only do that, that, that most intense kind of flogging. They only give you that when they condemn you. But he's not condemned yet. So 
What is a good possibility is he got the lighter flogging right here and later on is given the flogging we know from the passion, the one with the cat of nine tails that rips open your flesh and that dehumanizes you and some people used to die from, that he got that later. So uh, if that is the case, which it seems like that's a good possibility, because right now Pilate is trying to just beat him enough to make him look bad so that the Jews will let him go. Once again, good intentions. I find no guilt, but let me ask you what I should do. Okay, that didn't work. I find no guilt. Let me beat him up a little bit. And then he says here, hail the king of the Jews. They, they, they beat the Lord. They punched the Lord because the Roman soldiers, they don't, they're not into all this you know, like, like what Pilate's doing. They just can't wait to get their hands on somebody. And so then Pilate says, see, I'm bringing him out to you to show you that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus comes out wearing the crown of thorns that they used to mock him as king. Jesus comes out bloodied, and that doesn't make them say, okay, dang, you right. He's not, like, that's enough. They say, no, we want him dead. Pilate says, I find no guilt in him. Why don't you crucify him yourselves? Now, they can't crucify him themselves. So once again, you see the, the good intentions of Pilate. The only problem, the faulty actions of Pilate. Now, the reason why I even bring that out as a point is because, look, they said... We have a law. Once again, here it is. Forget truth. Forget the declaration of his innocence. First, you have a custom. Now, we have a law. We have a law. He ought to die because he made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered the headquarters and said, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Now, you remember before, Pilate said, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus doesn't answer all that. He's like, hey, uh, well, I mean, is that just you talking or is this just, you know, trial talk? You heard some stuff about me. He, oh, am I a Jew? Yeah, people, like, uh, my kingdom, like Jesus is into this dialogue with Pilate at first. Now, wait a minute, where are you from? No answer. I think that's interesting. Because there comes a point where you don't play games with God. You don't play games with salvation. The Bible says, in the day you hear his voice, harden not your heart. It's almost as though it seems like Jesus is through talking because Pilate has made his decision and made it clear. Truth is not the issue. And remember, this is the king who's bringing the kingdom of truth. Those who are of the truth hear my voice. You ain't been hearing me. You haven't been listening to me. When I brought up truth, you just walked out and said, what is truth? Hey, he's not guilty, but what, you have a custom. Now you have me flogged. You have me beaten. And now, all of a sudden, they talk about the Son of God. And then you come in. Now, Pilate was superstitious because they believed in the divine visiting men. Plus, the synoptics tell us that Pilate's wife had told him, I had a dream about this dude. Don't mess with him. He's a righteous man. So Pilate has ignored dreams that his wife told him he had. But now all of a sudden, some superstition that from Pilate's perspective about him being the son of God. He goes and says, where are you from? Jesus doesn't answer him. No more dialogue. The inadequacy of good intentions were coupled with faulty actions. Also, what you see here, we believe in this divine sovereignty over all of what's going on. And yet, you're going to see Jesus Christ hold Pilate responsible. So there's this divine sovereignty meeting human responsibility, which is why it's inadequate to just have good intentions when coupled with faulty actions. Look what it says here. It says, so Pilate said, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it has been given you from above. Jesus acknowledges, you do have authority over me, but it's only because it's been given to you. 
Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. See, he didn't say, Pilate, you off the hook. You've been trying to get me off the hook. I, I mean, I peep you. I see you trying to get me out of there. I mean, everything keep backfiring on you. It's not your fault. It's these Jews. These Jews, they won't stop at anything except death. Like, he doesn't say that. He says, there's somebody, the person who gave you over to me, which could either be Caiaphas, because he does use a singular, he who gave you over to me, or it could be just the Jews talking about them as one the Jewish leadership, they're worthy of a greater sin. But he doesn't say they're the ones guilty of sin. He says there's somebody who's even more guilty than you, but that implies you're guilty too. As I talk today, we're always looking for the good intentions and excusing the faulty actions. I don't care who it is. Yeah, but the dude writes pornography. Yeah, but you, you well, you, you got to understand, everybody ain't where you are, but you got to hear his, you got to pray song. Like, this is the day we're in, in a day where you're not submitted to the king of truth. Always looking to excuse faulty actions in the light of clear truth based on a good intention. That's us today. We love to find the intention. Yeah, but you, you got to give it to him, though. He was at least, it's always he was at least, but, but the actions. But he made a choice. He told you, I have chosen this life. Yeah, but the only thing is, the inadequacy of good intentions coupled with faulty ex- actions. Lastly, The inevitability of personal desires clouding moral and spiritual judgment. Look at the root of this, this whole trial. Therefore, he who has delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. Once again, this is the governor who has the, the, what did he say? You ain't going to speak to me. Don't you know I have the power to release you or crucify you? The whole this whole time we've been, we've been in front of the dude who could release him or crucify him. Why are we still here? Three times you said he's not guilty. And then from now on I'm trying to release you. Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement in Aramaic Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him. Away with him. Crucify him. Pilate said to him, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests, uh, the chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to be crucified. As I'm closing, the inevitability of personal desires clouding moral and spiritual judgment. We get to the end of this bogus trial, and the truth comes out on both ends. For all they had to do was remind Pilate that his friendship with Caesar was at stake. And he said, oh, that's the end of it. Every governor wanted to establish a rapport with Caesar, who was the head of the whole Roman Empire. Every governor wanted in with Caesar. They said, if you let a man who's guilty of being a king, which is a threat to Rome, if you let him go, you can, you can hang up your connection with Caesar And we'll make sure that Caesar hears that we want Caesar as king. You're trying to give us this man called king. Here we have the Jews have a desire. Remember, this is the Jewish leadership. Jesus has already proven the Jews don't really care about the nation. They care about their place. Caiaphas, the head of the Jewish, the Sanhedrin, the rulers, said, 
Don't you know that it's better for you if he died? Because he said, look, everybody's going after Jesus. Basically, if this keeps on, we won't be the big shots in religion anymore, in the Jewish culture anymore. We won't be the big shots. It says when John the Baptist was making moves and everybody was going to him, they sent out a team to interrogate him because these people just got scared when anyone arose to any kind of prominence without them. Remember what Nicodemus said, teacher, we know that you are a man from God because, in other words, we've been discussing you. We discuss anyone who's making moves like this. By the time Jesus got to his, his pinnacle, these people were afraid of him because people were going after him. What was, their, what was the Jewish desire? The desire to keep their place. And what was the Rome, Pilate's desire? The desire to be a friend with Caesar. At the end of the day, regardless of what the truth was... The truth about how to properly respond to Jesus Christ was about to mess up personal desires that they had. So it began to cloud spiritual judgment. These Jews know that their Messiah is king. God is supposed to be king. But now what do they say? We have no king but Caesar. I hope you all are catching the intricacies the spiritual intricacies of what is just a story for some people. The story of a man framed. If you were in the hood, you're like, I've seen that all the time. Cops planting evidence. and da, da, da. What's so big about... This is not just that. This is revealing to us that the Lord Jesus Christ, who was in total control, and next week as Pastor E gets into the crucifixion, Jesus Christ is the executive producer of the whole script. And he wrote himself into it to be the recipient of what you and I deserved. And, he, and, and so John wants his people to know, but look at him handle the situation. That's what John is. John's whole point in going into detail, we saw this in the arrest. We saw, John wants to show you Jesus Christ has been in control. And so, you and I, I pray that what we will see is first the irony of religion minus insight. Will you just be religious? Will you be good at church going? Will you have the right music in your CD player? Will you like all the people who write the good books and who seem to have all of the trinkets that come with blowing up in religious circles? But who don't seem to have insight into the basics of the faith, specializing in stuff that sells, stuff that does well on the mass scale, but lacks the basic insight to be able to, de to detect God on the smallest levels. Invitation to personal engagement. Will you sit out here and listen to sermon after sermon after sermon? Will you hear the voice of Jesus Christ bringing you into spiritual dialogue and you stay merely just in a dialogue that you never personally respond to? Spiritual kingdom and not just physical kingdom. Are we kingdom citizens? Are we king's kids? And for you that means that we have all the things that natural kings have? Or are you, have you bought into the kingdom where truth prevails and where truth divides? Good intentions or right actions? Will you always but? Will you always but I meant... Or will you and I be people who not only intend to do the right thing, but actually do the right thing? Personal desires. They cloud moral and spiritual judgment. Before we had our sights set on, we were clear about which way God wanted us to have. But then our desires started getting messed with. And before you know it, I'm not so sure anymore. Personal desires will make you say, crucify the one that you used to say, save me. Personal desires will make you say, away with him. I have no lover but. I have no king but. And it won't be him anymore. It'll be something else. And today the trial is meant for you to place yourself at the scene. Who are you? Are you the Jews? Religious is all get out but still no room for Jesus 
Are you Pilate, the Gentiles, a man who's trying to stay out of this Jewish thing? This is about Jewish stuff. I mean, I just want to know how I can have a, a end the day. I mean, they brought me in. I got to do my job. Or are you John, the writer, with insight to see that though your king was clothed in humility, though the king was beaten and mocked as a king, he really stood as the king, triumphant. We're not waiting for the resurrection to see he's a king. He was a king here, beaten, dripping with blood, flogged once, maybe twice. Next week, as, we, as he goes to the cross, we pray that you'll fix your eyes on him. And we pray that you'll be saved and believe in the Jesus who died so that people like us and Barabbas... <laughs> In our place, just like they let Barabbas go. It, it should have been us. Instead, it was him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for...